0: sneakers mean something more than just another article of clothing.
1: Today we talk about sneakers. My name is Chris Molinski, Director of Education at the Jewel Colin Smith Museum of Fine Art at Auburn University. This month we open an exhibition by artist Andy Yoder called Overboard, an exhibition filled with sneakers. Today we start to dive into sneakers as a cultural object. What are they? What's the meaning and context and history of sneakers? Last spring, we worked with a class called Sneakerheads to start thinking about this exhibition. This episode of the Jewel Museum podcast shares some of the work from the Sneakerheads class. Andy Yoder's exhibition is about so much more than just sneakers. It references the environment, labor, identity. But so many of these questions can be thought of through the object of sneakers themselves. The exhibition is called Overboard because of the great shoe spill of 1990. The shoe spill happened when 21 large shipping containers filled with more than 80,000 Nike sneakers fell overboard the sneakers washed up all over the West Coast. And a group of scientists used the unique serial numbers on these shoes to study ocean currents. Andy Yoder's work references the environment. He, as an artist, thinks about recycling and creative reuse. But this exhibition is also about sneakers. So we wanted to know more about sneakers from a student and faculty perspective.
2: Hello, I am Imani Poole. I work in the education department of the George Smith Museum now. Um, I am going into my second year at Auburn University, and I was originally a student in a sneaker cultural class.
0: Yeah, I was the, uh, I was the teacher of that class. I'm Charlie lesh I'm an associate professor, a newly associate professor of English at Auburn University, uh, where I teach classes on cultural studies, uh, rhetorical theory, and composition, Um, and I was the professor of um, a cultural studies class titled uh, uh, Spring uh, uh, 2022 cultural studies class titled sneakerheads kicks and culture in the academy and beyond
2: i never considered myself a sneakerhead but a lot of the men around me and my family were obsessed with sneakers so i used to grow up watching them clean their sneakers watching them wait and to buy new sneakers online wait in line for sneakers so the idea of connecting that object that was like a part of my childhood to the greater ideas that I liked talking about like gentrification and cultural appropriation. Just I love the idea of that. So I was like, oh I need to be a part of this class.
1: Could you give me a definition? What is a sneakerhead? I think before the class
0: I would have probably said that a sneakerhead uh is someone that for whom sneakers mean something more than just another article of clothing, right? I, I think that would have been my initial definition that, you know, sneakers for me, like Amani was saying, connected to so many themes that I'm intellectually interested in, that even if I couldn't articulate that when I was seven, the idea of me... Thinking about sneakers um, so directly led me to be interested in other questions of culture and like Amani said, cultural appropriation and identity. So I think for me, the initial definition would have been someone who who uh, imbues sneakers with meaning beyond what they're designed to do. As part of their
1: work in the class, each student produced a episode of a Sneakerheads podcast. Amani chose to research the Nike Air Force Ones. I wanted to share Amani's podcast so we could start thinking of other histories of sneakers or the larger history of sneaker culture. So here's an excerpt from Imani Poole's podcast for sneakerheads.
2: Hello, hello, hello. I'm today's host, Imani Poole, and welcome back to the Not Your Average Sneaker podcast, the show about sneakers, culture and everything in between today i'll be telling you a story that like most sneaker stories starts on the basketball court it's a story about black culture a story about masculinity and a story about poverty this is a story of one of nike's most popular shoes the air force one now buckle your seat belts and let me take you on a trip to 1982. So I want you to close your eyes and imagine it for a moment. The year is 1982 and Michael Jackson just dropped what most believe to be his best album, Thriller. So it's on your house in repeat. You are a 13 year old black boy living in inner city Baltimore. The buildings are so close together that you get to walk home with your friends every school day. You guys take your usual detour to the concrete courts where you play a game of pickup basketball with the older boys. You don't really know them that well. You see them at school every once in a while, but you don't really want to know them that well. What you do know is you guys have at least one thing in common other than being in the projects of Baltimore it's that you guys were going to be in the NBA at least that's what you wanted to happen nobody wanted to be in the hood especially not for a prolonged period of time so being in the NBA could get you out of there faster than the education system ever could that's why you watched every basketball game you could no matter who was playing it wasn't just to fawn over the athletes but to gain some tips and tricks So, you were watching one of these games when your brother, a real sneaker connoisseur himself, pointed out a pair of shoes that he's never seen before. You wouldn't know what they were until 1983, when the Air Force One finally hit the street. However, unlike your brother, you weren't really a shoe guy, so... They didn't pique your interest until you saw him again in the 1983 NBA Finals. You got to see Moses Malone lead the 76ers to a win against the Lakers who had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. This was his second MVP win in his first year on the 76ers. And he did all this wearing a pair of white Air Force Ones. With a red swoosh. To say you became obsessed would be an understatement. You had his poster on your walls within a couple of days. And you just had to ask your mother to buy you the same pair of shoes that he was wearing. The only difference is, yours only came in solid colors. So you bought a pair of all-white Air Force Ones. Maybe, just maybe, you could jump like him. Pass like him play like him and maybe you could even feel like him your nba jeans just got much closer and it pretty much worked out because with the shoes you were the flyest until everybody else got a pair later (laughs) at least you can say you started the wave and maintain loyalty to the silhouette until they were discontinued in 1984, but that didn't last too long because Baltimore saved the A1. Baltimore loved the Air Forces probably as much as they loved basketball itself. So it was no question that when the shoe was discontinued, they had to do something about it. Three Baltimore retailers came together and convinced Nike to continue producing the shoe so they could sell them in their stores. If anyone wanted a pair of Air Forces, they'd have to come to Baltimore. The owner of Charles Rudolph Sports, Harold Rudolph, is the reason behind the creation of Colorways. They'd sell different Colorways in different stores, so if you wanted them, or just wanted to look at them, you'd have to visit every store. They, as competitors, had an everybody eats mentality that you probably wouldn't see today in the current age of resellers. You can also see this as the start of modern-day sneaker culture practices. Because uh, I really don't think of a time before this where people be willing to travel cross-country for a pair of sneakers.
1: This is just a small excerpt of Amani's amazing episode for the Sneaker Podcast. I'll put a link so you can listen to the entire Sneakerheads podcast. After listening to the podcast, I asked Amani for a couple important highlights. A couple points we should all consider when we're thinking about sneakers. One, she said, was nostalgia. And I think many kinds of nostalgia are on view as part of the Andy Yoder exhibition. The second point was cultural appropriation.
2: The connection, how they started with inner city kids, is very important to talk about how the people who started wearing sneakers were inner city children. People who liked basketball, people who couldn't afford The, I'd say the bigger purchases. So they bought their kids these because these were just something the basketball players liked. And these kids would grow up playing basketball in their hoods. And now, as we see sneakers getting more popular, everybody's wearing sneakers now, not just the poor kids. It's like something is being almost taken away from the inner city the prices are going up the shoes are made poorly now compared to how they were back then not made to last and the people who made them popular are still feeling disrespected by the changes that are happening
0: yeah i I just want to first of all say that i think like you know just listening to amani's answer that was probably the coolest part of teaching the class was having students like amani teach me things about a community that I've been a part of for, you know, 25 years. Um, and just to piggyback on something Amani had said, I think like the thing, and I think I knew this to some extent, but work like Imani's in the podcast, which was as much kind of geographical as it was um, cultural studies. Right. I think it really taught me how when you're talking about sneakers, you're also talking about space and you're talking about it, at a bunch of different scales. So sneaker culture is a global culture. It's an international culture. You know, there's sneakers everywhere. And so there's that. And you could really focus on that. But what I, I think Amani's work kind of taught me is that there's all these other scales beneath the sort of global sneaker industry that for us to really make sense of the significance of sneakers we have to attend to. So Amani's work, even just now, talking about neighborhoods, talking about basketball courts talking about the local shoe stores and i think the thing that i've kind of learned is that you know sneakers are local and global and those those uh two scales are often in tension um with each other and they're changing right and i think that's the the last point that the class really considered was what do what does sneaker culture look like um in 2022 as compared to you know 1992 or 2002 or 2012 and it's it's, it's underwent this immense spatial change from the local shoe store where I could even camp out, right? That I could sit, could sleep outside of a foot action and think that there's a chance I would get this sneaker to being in front of a computer screen by yourself, clicking a million times when the shoe drops, right? So even that is like, it's, it's a change in the economics of it. It's a change in the culture of it, but it's also a change in the spaces of it. And um, I think that that's kind of, one of the things that I think my work in the class and uh, the work, you know, Amani did in the podcast is considering is, you know, kind of what are the spaces of sneaker culture? How are they changing? And how does that upset or disrupt um, the community? My thanks to Charlie
1: Lesh and Amani Poole for talking with us. Please visit the Sneakerheads podcast and listen to the rest of Amani's amazing work. And Yoder, overboard is on view at the museum starting August 23rd. Over the next few months, we'll revisit the exhibition, adding more context around histories of sneakers, the environment, and other issues that Andy Yoder's exhibition touches on. All museum programs, including this podcast, are made possible by listeners like you. Visit the museum at jcsm.auburn.edu to show your support.